It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. drinkag1.com slash surf. We're in the thick of the overindulgent holiday season, and I know that you're probably mapping out your game plan for how to revamp your diet and exercise in 2024. AG1 is essential and will provide you foundational nutrition to execute your goals. And even through this past week, AG1 doesn't erase my bad decisions, but it does ensure that I get the foundational nutrition, plus it's packed with pro and prebiotics, which helps me process and digest all of those bad decisions without the stomach aching and bloat that I used to experience from dairy and booze. So the quick details here, it's a powder sourced from whole foods that you mix with water. You drink it once a day, it's delivered to your door, it's simple and powerful. And beyond the foundational nutrition that it provides, the digestive enzymes aid in gut health, the adaptogens help your brain and body absorb and use the nutrients so that I feel more alert and switched on throughout the entire day. I've been using it for about three years now and all of the anxiety that I used to feel about how to cover all those nutritional gaps in my diet is gone. When I see ads for multivitamins or some new gummy or supplement, I ignore all of that now. I drink one thing. It has everything I need. Foundational nutrition that has proven itself day in and day out in my life for years. Drinkag1.com slash surf is where you go. You will get a one-year supply of vitamin D plus five free travel packs, and there's a 90-day money-back guarantee. There is nothing to lose. Just one big unlock for the life that you want to live drinkag1.com slash surf.
Happy New Year. Welcome back. Unbelievable run of waves that we've had here in Southern California with more on tap. So that's great news for the new year. Hopefully you are scoring that. Today's show has been a long time in the making. I've been quietly admiring Eden Saul's work under his Dead Kooks label for years, but I really didn't know anything about him. He doesn't do many interviews, uh, very, very few, uh, in fact, that I had come across. Even in researching this, I really couldn't find anything. His Instagram is much more about his work than it is a peek into his life. In fact, I'll be honest, I don't think I even knew Eden Saul's name. I just knew the brand, Dead Kooks, because the boards would be featured in Stab's various surfboard tests, luminaries like Dave Rostovich would be ripping on them, and then I would hear from mutual friends that Dead Kooks would be coming through Southern California and working at a who's who of surfboard factories, from Josh Hall to Chris Christensen, and they all lauded him for his work ethic, for his meticulous attention to detail, for his knowledge about surfboard building and surfboard building history, and then also for his eagerness and willingness to learn. So I was delighted when I received a message from Eden as a listener, chiming in with a comment about a recent show. He followed up to say that he was coming through Southern California in, I think it was early or mid 2023, but our schedules did not align on that trip to chat. And then just before Christmas, he came through again with a batch of boards to deliver to the new Rourke store in Venice, California. Uh, John Roseman on Tavarua had ordered a quiver that Eden was bringing with him and uh, just dropping off a dozen or so other boards for various clients. So we were able to connect in Santa Monica for this chat. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Eden Saul of Dead Kooks Surfboards. First thing I want to ask you about, though, that we might need to cut out is by the time this airs, the electric acid surfboard test will have concluded. Yep. Uh, do you know who won? No. Oh, okay. And there's some, I shouldn't speak too much on it because that project was pretty interesting to work on as far as like how it's played out a little. Um, and I'm such a fan of what all the guys at STAB do. Um, but yeah, that one, I know they were plagued with a few issues. It was originally going to be a different surfer. Originally, I don't think it was specifically going to be about like a winner or a loser. It was more about design. Mm. Um, and the parameters sort of changed a little bit. It's been cool. Uh, they were very specific about the board they wanted. It wasn't so saying I actually chose. Oh, I see. Um, so that was interesting. If I was kind of had my time over and I knew it was like what we're doing and it was for Sean, I would have loved to have made something very different. Yeah. So... I think it'll be interesting to see how he goes on that. If he can get his feet, foot in the right place, sort of the, watching him riding the Jonesy, it looked sort of like he was too far up the board a little. But some of the boards he's connected better with. It's just like they're very specific sort of... Well, I think look, you've got to adjust your surfing to it. You were Before we sat down, like you were telling me, you, you're, you've been riding one of Jonesy's boards. Yeah. And it's... You've got to like... It's, a, it's an adjustment. It's adjustment to your foot placement. It's a lot more lateral surfing... Yeah, I wouldn't 
I, in fact, it's been a few years since I got that board, but I do remember the first few <laughs> sessions on it. I was out of sorts. All you had to do is look at Torn Martin. And then you're like, oh, his feet are actually pretty close together. They're in the back third, basically a third of the way up from the tail. And I think that J-Bay video was out at the time. Thank you, mother. And so it's like watching him stand on that thing at J-Bay, it's like, oh, that's <laughs> what I need to model my surfing after. And it was as simple as that. Take your time if you need to take your time. I, um, yeah, I think the interesting thing with those is like with longer boards, people want to surf them a little further up but you got to still get your feet back on the fins on them. And, and once you sort of get that foot placement forward, yeah, you can shuffle up and whatever, but the driving and kind yeah. of the real engine still coming from the back. It's sort of, you can still get tons of drive and speed just standing on the back. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, well, as it relates to the electric acid surfboard test as a viewer, I didn't have any of the insights about what the brief was for the shapers. So you saying that there was a very specific brief is news to me. Yeah. Like I'm, and I hope I'm not misspeaking and the guys are cool with me saying it. Um, but yeah, it was like they wanted like me was channels and they've got a Jonesy channel bottom and Ian Byrne, who's like probably not very well known in the States, I'm going to guess, but is like legendary and Ern is incredible. Made that kind of rad MP style fangtail thing. Right. So you had that. So then I guess you've got channel bottoms, you've got quads, which you had MR doing a quad, which is probably really random for a lot of people. Totally. That thing looks so killer, by the way. Yeah. Uh, the Hayden Shapes quad. Right. Which Hayden's not really a quad guy, so that was interesting. Um, and then you had like Ryan Lovelace doing a finless, the Corey Graham board, which is sort of a finless. So I guess it was sort of more interesting trying to like get away from, <coughs> sorry, what might be the more conventional. Yeah. Well, what the whole experience um, highlighted for me was um, the value that I place in communicating with a shaper. Because with each of those boards, they, they barely let the shaper, they barely um, show the shaper's kind of reason for creating the thing. Certainly we don't know the brief going into it or why the shaper was assigned that thing. But then the shaper in the past, they used to have breakaway episodes that highlighted the shaper and you really got to know like the limelight was on the shaper and then the surfer experiencing the board was almost secondary but where I felt that this was a misstep was not only for me the viewer but for Sean himself I go wow here's a surfer who has no context at all to understand Corey Graham's piece of trash that got upcycled and made into this like yeah. badass. And so of course he's going to go out there and just be like, man, this thing doesn't work as good as my regular boards do because he has no context. Well, also it's kind of tricky when you're not making like making something for a specific surf or a specific sort of wave in, with, in mind. And then if that gets flipped, you know, like different, like Sean's such an incredible and talented surfer. Right. Like the way you watch him, like some of those big straight as he does and like the way he hucks himself under like ledgy lips. It's crazy. Totally. Well, so none of that was for me to blast stab for a misstep at all. It was more that it identified in me, like the boards that I appreciate most in my life, there's all this context built into it because I do know the backstory of the shaper. I know how they arrived at this design. I know why I came to them to ask for this and how they communicated back with me and get me where, you know, so then once I take it in the water, <laughs> It's like all of this. There's a little understanding of like what you're looking for or what it's going to do for you. At, or. at that point, I'm invested in it and I want to know 
I want it to speak to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's easier. It's very difficult to write the board off at that point. I'm going to spend 10 sessions trying to develop a Figure relationship. It out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I love that like experience. Like I, I still order for a few boards. Do you? From different guys. Um, and I love, even like when they don't work great, it's actually kind of really fun for me too. I got a couple of boards off Greg Weber last year. Oh, wow. That were just, and I didn't really give him much of a, I was like, just make me two boards. And I got trippy, like crazy edges, stupid amounts of tail flip, fin placements, insane. And there was like first couple of surfs, I was like, I can't even ride these things. This totally. is, and I like persevered with it. And like, they didn't totally work for me, but there was moments that were like, oh, wow. And it's like, even, it's kind of nice. Sometimes it like reaffirms like your own thinking. And then oh, other okay. times it's like, oh shit. That like, there was a moment in there that like I didn't expect. And that was almost. Right. Um, were they short boards? Yeah, I got like a five nine. Both had these sort of like big, like mid board kind of stingers in them. Okay. Round tails. One was a twin, one was a quad. Okay. Um, but yeah, the fin placement on the quad was like, the rears were up like six and a half. I ended up measuring them and I'm like, what? Huh. Stupid amounts of tail flip, really square round, like square hard edges, like almost halfway up the board. So when you uh, talk to him, do you ask him, does he explain what all the thoughts are behind that? Do you have those conversations oh, Gr- yeah. with him? Okay. He, Greg, if you ever see like any, just his Instagram clips. Yeah. Like, he's one of the most thoughtful uh, yeah, like his boards, it's just the volume's up to 11 on everything. Gotcha. I see that even with this electric acid surfboard test. Like I've seen that Ryan Lovelace, finless rabbit's yep. foot or whatever he calls it. When you're on the design fringe way out there, it's not necessarily with the thought that this is going to uh, service not certainly not everybody, but maybe not even a specific person, but that specific person will be able to tap in to something on the fringe yeah. that will apply to the broader kind of generalization, yeah. you know? And that's what you're trying to do, I feel like, yeah. lots of times with that stuff. Yeah, that, uh, it's like living where I am at Lennox and like Byron's like, you know, I work in Byron's 20 minutes away and I've like watched Ari riding those things at home so often. Crazy. And it's insane it's almost not even surfing anymore it's like a totally different thing i can't relate to what it really is and like even it we have this i don't know if i kind of feel like byron was like where a lot of this like big like guys going like finless on soft tops and it but like really good surfers um it's funny guys harry at home he did like 88 surfboards like these killer soft tops like but like a little like more refined and dialed without and the surfing watching those guys it's like they just tapped into something that's totally different. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't totally get it. I'm, it's not for me, but like, it's really sick to watch. You ride a mat though, right? I ride a mat, yeah. Regularly? Pretty regularly. What do you, what's the sensation or what are you looking for with that? Um, I just find them just insanely dynamic. Um, I've had a couple of shoulder reconstructions. So it's sort of in between surgeries and stuff like that. It's been a really fun thing, but I got onto one shit I was like 21 maybe okay there was a guy from like Carolina traveling he was like staying on the Gold Coast for a while had a couple of like randomly had like four or five like fourth gears in the back of his car and was like chatting to him one day I'm like what he's like yeah like end up selling me one 
And I just traveled with that thing everywhere. Because I just found even like if I was going on trips or like wherever I could just like clip a set of swim fins to my backpack, fold that thing up. Right. If I had a weekend away somewhere without having to take surfboards. And I loved it. I um, rode that thing at like pretty, I got absolutely flexed one day at Ulu's on it. Really? I remember I put it down the back bottom of my vest and like swam out with it and blew it up out the back. I'd had a few beers and was like, oh, I'll go like surf kind of like outside corner was almost just starting. And like got in and kind of highlined and then had to drop down to think I was going to get around this bit of white water. And then it just clipped me. I was like sideways in the foam, just bear hugging this thing. I'm not going to let it go, but then like not penetrating. So you're basically just getting like rolled right. in the white water, like a beach ball, just not penetrating, get dragged so freaking far. Um, <laughs> you say dynamic. Can you explain what you mean by that? I mean, cause what I think is obvious to any viewer is just the speed friction free, you know, like I, going super I, fast. But what about the dynamics? Well, I guess living like at, at living at Lennox, Chris Brock lives at the end of my street. Chris and George ride them every day out the front of my house. Okay. Every day. And then you've also got Dan Thompson's dad, Mark. He's also on mats. So it's, we're probably in a really interesting community where I guess most places surf mats aren't a common thing. No. Whereas I, I watch guys riding them every day and surfing them quite well. Mm. So I think you're sort of like, when you're exposed to it, you're like, oh, this is pretty interesting watching guys riding them well where you can like adjust the rocker adjust your rail contours adjust the bottom you know like slow down or at the same time like squeeze a chamber and push all the air across onto one pontoon and just be absolutely bombing on it like it's pretty interesting and so i don't know if you actually go faster on them but like just the sensation of like like you know if you're driving like you're driving like a Myers Mannix or a Moke or something. You might be doing 40 miles an hour, but it feels like yeah. you're doing 100. Yeah. And I think, I'm not, I know mats do go fast, but even just the sensation when your face is two inches off the water right. is pretty insane. So the adjustments that you're talking about, you're making in real time, rocker yeah. adjustments, all 100%. that kind of stuff. Yeah, that is dynamic. So you can kind of like, by like, you know, adjusting your pressure on your hands or actually squeezing a chamber, letting yeah. the air out you ride them relatively flat. So you're like sort of buried down in it. Right. Um, but they're just a lot of fun. And then I know I've got a, I've got a few now and like I've, it's been really cool. Like when friends, wives are like pregnant and stuff, like mm. they can ride it, keep, keeps them in the water. Right. And yeah, coming through surgeries and stuff, it's been a really good thing. Jeez, yeah. Bro. It's a great way to keep you in the water for um, sure. Um, did you grow up in Lennox? I grew up in Lennox. Um, kind of yeah, like 10 minutes outside of town, just like a pretty country style. Um, what brought your parents there? My whole family's sort of been in that area for a long time. Really? Like my grandparents were there. Wow. Um, my dad grew up uh, like half an hour south there in a spot called Evans Head. Mm. Um, my grandfather ran fishing trawlers and okay. out of there. So my dad was always just on fishing boats and surfing. Um, so he grew up there doing that. Um, my mom was from the area as well. And then, yeah, we go back, I think you know, it's like a few generations, three generations there, which is pretty funny in a town like Byron Bay that's just so blown out now. And my grandparents will talk about, oh, we got offered like an acre and a half on the hill at Wadigos for like 50 pound. But we didn't take it because why would you want to live over there? You know, like that was all, it was up a dirt track away from everything. And I'm like, you know, you know that same block of land now is worth like $20 million. And I'm like, yeah, no joke. Um, 
what a fortunate situation to be born into. I mean, uh, uh, real estate aside, just for from a surf standpoint, just oh, in. it's shaped everything. It's, it's insane. insane. And like such an incredible surf community. Yeah. Um, the level of surfing there on any day, but also just the quality of waves we have. Yeah. Um, like I come out here to LA and everyone's like, oh, you've been surfing? I'm like, eh. And I'm not trying to get salty on it, but like, like we get really good waves at home, like proper, proper waves. And, right. And we're lucky too as there's so many waves that you can kind of in like places you can easily get out, find some space and... Uh, you know, we surf quite often with just a very few handful of us. And so, um, what year were you born? Eighty-eight. Okay, thirty-five now. So, as you were getting into surfing, who were your cohorts? Um, Rasta. No, Dave's a bit older than me. Okay, Dave was living up at Burley, I guess, at that time. Um, did kind of get? I guess I got introduced. A little tangent, but uh, yeah, when I was like thirteen, Dick Van Stralen started making me boards. No way. Which was. It probably was like one of the best things for my surfing and probably the worst thing for my surfing. Because I just was like straight, I was like, oh my God, this is insane. And like, I think that Dave, that movie that Dave and Andy did together just came out. Dave was like riding some crazy boards and then like Dick started like just throwing me his hand-me-downs. Wow. And I was just like straight away, I was like, you know, at that age I was surfing at doing like a few comps or whatever and had like Owen and Wilco and stuff like all my age, like Stewie Kennedy was like a year or two younger than me surfing, but we all surfed together. And then like a year or two older, you had like Adam Melling or like James Woods and stuff at home. And then also like Stephen Walsh and Anthony Walsh, like pretty crazy group of crew around. And I realized very quick, I'm like, I'm nowhere near as good as any of these guys. Torrin was like a year younger than me at school. Um, Ellis Erickson was in Byron, like pretty cool group of people in like a small little town. Absolutely. But yeah, really quickly it was like, I'm nowhere near any of this. And then was like, started riding these boards of dicks and was like, holy shit, this is fun. So what, what was Dick making at that time? Um, little EPS fish. Um, so I was getting like, yeah, like five O EPS twin fins or like little thrusters and stuff off him. Hmm. At like 13, which was just like mind blowing. Yeah. Um, I remember trying to order like, as I got a little bigger, I tried to order a 5.4 and he was just like, I don't make 5.4s. You have a 5.3 or a 5.5. And I was like, what? And he's like, if you can tell me why you need a 5.4, I'll make it for you. That's amazing. And it's kind of funny. I still remember that. And now like, I get a little, I might get a little eggy with people where they try and order weird dimensions. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> That's so funny. But do you, I'm thinking he probably made five fours all the time. It was just he wanted to he teach wanted to, you a yeah, lesson. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. But like if you have a reason why you actually want this and you can communicate it to me, I'm more than glad to Yeah, do he was just like, tell me why you That's want a five four. And I was like, I don't know. I just, he was like, sweet. I ended up getting a five three. It was great. That's so funny. Um, so what did those boards do for you that you weren't experiencing on the pointy thrusters? I don't know. I honestly couldn't even tell you. It okay. was just like the overall sensation and the feeling and everything that was going on. I was like loving it. I yeah. was probably surfing terribly on them, but it felt fun. Well, and even- I think it, that's all it ever needed to be. And then um, Dan Thompson used to live sort of like a couple hundred meters away from my house. Um, and Dan was a bit older and he was coming back from San Diego with like 
cane garden fishes oh. and he was already on that thing and his dad was making him crazy boards and then Dan started shaping. So I remember I picked up like a five, Dan shaped me like a funny little five five like rocket fish thing. It was one of his pretty early boards. And I rode that, rode that thing to death, got a few more out of him and yeah, so that was sort of, I guess the trajectory from very early on just ruining me. Um, so you had no delusions about being a pro surfer? Oh, absolutely not. Were you pursuing academics? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Did you go to college? I did. I never finished. Okay. Um, I was like six months shy. I actually went to went to school. I did business law and economics. Okay. Um, was that because your parents wanted you to do that? No. No. I, I, I like math. I'm good at math. Um, and I finished school and had pretty good grades and could have kind of done whatever I wanted and had no idea what I wanted to do. So I just was, all right, I'll just go in and uh, just do something that seemed applicable gotcha. to anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm sure, you know, as things have gone on, it served me well. Yeah, I would think so too, in business. Yeah. Um, did your parents have any ambition for what they wanted you to do? Mm, not really. I just, I know when I dropped out of school, they were definitely like, you're going back to finish it though, right? Were they paying for it? No. Oh, no, okay. no, <laughs> or, uh, no. We have a bit of a different, it's kind of in Australia, you don't know, college and that whole thing sort of, it doesn't seem like it's so much of an expectation, whereas everyone here goes to college. Yeah. Um, and the government basically has like a, you just go to school, you, they put you on like a loan program. Okay. And then it kind of gets deducted out of your wages after you start earning a certain amount of money. Gotcha. So it's kind of, I don't know, it's a, not a, I'm not going to say it's a great system, but it works pretty good. It's not like people are out here ringing up these immeasurable debts that seem like, I don't know how well they're serving a lot of people, but. They're not. The model's kind of broken here. Yeah. So. But um, yeah, I remember I was doing that. Uh, my girlfriend at the time was like, we like, we're like, we're just going to move to Bali. She was like, having, had a swim layer label or something she was doing. I was already shaping some boards and like lifeguarding and doing triathlon and like weird shit. And um, I remember I came back and all my friends had like had to move into like Brisbane or Sydney in the city, wearing suits, making shitty money. And we were like, felt like we were like in Bali and at home and cruising and like was somehow better off. And I was just like, ah, oh, screw this. This just seems, seems like a shitty move. Um, so you were building your, were you earning the majority of your income from building boards? Lifeguarding. Oh, from lifeguarding. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which was pretty fun. It was like lifeguarding, like just on the beach at like Coolangatta. So you'd like run out, surf in the mornings, yeah. surf snapper at lunch. <laughs> um, what the argument would be for putting on the suit and going into the city is that, yeah, maybe you're earning more and you have a better lifestyle now, but 10 years from now, this career has more potential and all that sort of stuff. I just watched friends doing it. And like within six months, they all just looked miserable and sad and were just drinking too much. And I was just like, I don't want to do that. That looks shit. Good for you, man. So um, maybe things are different here. So we're sitting in Los Angeles right now, which is kind of the epitome of chasing that dream. Um, and I'm glad to hear and I admire that you didn't fall for that because I guess to be perfectly honest, not everybody has a talent or a skill set that they could creatively pursue on their own that would provide them with, you know, a lifestyle to. Yes buy. and no. I don't know. I kind of feel like a lot, like it's there for a lot of people if they choose to do it. Okay. It's maybe just, I don't know. I, I read, 
I read that Rick Rubin book. I actually kind of thought he, one of his takes on it was kind of cool. Whereas, you know, it's like everyone has that in them. It's just tapping into it. Interesting. I'm not convinced everybody does. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Well, well, they might have the talent, but the other thing that you need with it is like tenacity. Entre- yeah, entrepreneurship yeah, and tenacity like, for sure. Because yeah, you can't. Yeah, you could have a lot of talent. You know, without any business sense. Yeah, don't know what to do with it. But that's one thing that I was going to actually bring up with you is that I don't know when it started for your brand, but I feel like you are always a pretty savvy marketer. Yeah, I probably came in like a little hot and heavy and probably like, I don't know, I was just like not even, I probably just was like maybe even overly confident. I didn't even know what I was doing half the time and I'm sure the half the boards I was making were terrible, but I kind of just was like, oh, this will be fine. I'll just back myself a little bit. And So talk about the experience of how, when you first started building boards, were they mainly for yourself? You probably start giving them to friends. just for me and some friends, same as everyone probably does it. Um, and was just doing that on the side. And then I kind of started kicking around a uh, factory on the Gold Coast with Stuart Darcy. Mm. Um, Darcy's been shaping forever. Um, sort of became a really great mentor to me and a very good friend. Um, and so I started like spending time in there, doing shitty jobs, watching him shape, listening to a lot of The Clash. <laughs> and picking his brain and he was like really generous with time and knowledge and information and um you know spent a lot of time just kicking around in that factory doing wet rubs um glassing my own boards and just learning you know the insides of just in a factory sure and that meant i got to like shape a few of my own boards and he'd like kind of like come in and like show you how to hold a planer a little better or like clean up your outlines better and like little tricks from like old school production shapers that really serve you well okay. rather than just like you know trying to hack them out in your garage without really knowing you know like someone who's been shaping for 40 years coming and just being like hey try it this way or do that right um you know and getting that constant sort of like someone checking in on you every week was really good but just also being in a factory and learning you know the ins and outs and sort of every process along the way as it relates to the marketing or the branding when did you start thinking of it as a brand and publishing what you were doing to showcase I think like it was before we had like Instagram and all that shit. It was like, we used to have blogs, yeah. Um, you know, and I think it was kind of funny. That was like, there was like a pretty interesting community around that too. Um, you know, like I remember like Ryan Lovelace had like Point Conception or like something before he had his own brand under his name. Did he? Yeah. I don't remember that. Um, I remember meeting Ryan, like coming out for like a fish fry thing or something, you know, like back when that was like a thing, it was a guy doing them on the Gold Coast. Um, I don't know, so I guess I probably had like a little Tumblr account or something. Okay. Because I was like putting shit on. And I remember like that was how I first connected with like Thomas Bexon. He was up in Noosa and like we'd like met the surf a couple of times, but like he used to have one that was like surfing and gardening or something. <laughs> I don't know if he even run it or if it was just one of his friends and he was a part of it, but yeah. Because he was into gardening? Yeah. Fascinating. Um, because what Darcy could teach you in the factory, like that generation... I think of a lot of those guys as being terrible business people and not, not him specifically necessarily, but not um, good marketers or undervaluing or putting too much of a value on modesty. I think though, yeah, it's interesting seeing how that's played out. I'm not sure if it's the same here or everywhere, but some of the guys at home that like, I think are like Gunter Ron or like Rod Dahlberg or, 
you know, incredible shapers. And it sort of feels like they've sort of gone a little by the wayside because it's, you know, it's like we, like, I know I was lucky I didn't get a cell phone until I was probably like 15, something mm-hmm. like that. We were like just on the cusp of coming through, you know, without internet and whatever else, having like dial up in your parents' lounge room. But right for those, but like we all adjust, adjusted and adapted to it pretty quickly. I think for some of those guys, you know, it's like if you want to order a surfboard, you like ring the factory phone number. Totally. You know, or you got to come to the shop and it's sort of, the idea of like the emails and all that shit and it can be so overwhelming like I I, I got to a point I was like I, I got to tap out with this shit at one point and end up it was like hard because it was like the amount of time you spend just trying to like manage that stuff and yeah. for some of those older guys I'm sure they're just like screw this yeah well I mean those guys were I guess when I'm saying that they could have grown their business faster had they had more of a marketing sense. I'm saying that with the assumption that they even wanted to grow their business faster. Some of them probably don't. And they were probably able to make enough boards along the way to where they didn't need to grow it. And also the economics were just so different back then. They could afford probably to buy a plot of land near the beach on the numbers that they were doing. And so there was no need to chase more. Whereas now it's like, good luck in my my hometown or in probably most beach communities. Yeah. The way that the Western world's basically done is like, you know, everywhere that was beautiful and by the beach and it's probably like the best and the worst thing surfing's ever done, but like everywhere that like there was good waves, like look how blown out Bali is now or like, you totally. know, Biritz or, you know, yeah. Montauk, all these like random little parts of the world that you're like, why would people want to live there? Yeah. You know, Byron Bay started as like a surf you know, a surf town, whaling town, like agricultural. And now it's, that's what it is. Noose is the same, like Lennox. Like. Yeah. Rocketmoney.com slash surf. When I cut cable a few years ago, I slowly replaced it with a dozen streaming and subscription services. To be perfectly honest, I lost track of those expenses. Five bucks a month, seven bucks a month. It didn't seem worth tracking initially. That was until you multiply that number by 10. And then when my wife and I got married, we realized that we were both in the exact same position. We knew that there was probably three or so that we actually used weekly. We could quickly merge those onto one account, but it turned out that there were another dozen or so each that we were both paying for separately for years without either of us using. And this is precisely what Rocket Money is designed for. It's a modern tool that meticulously tracks the details that we easily get distracted from. Specifically, it's a finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills. It gives you freedom by helping you see your subscriptions in a simple dashboard where everything is tallied in one spot. And where we found it most helpful was in its simplicity. Subscription services can make it intentionally difficult or time consuming to cancel. Here, you can click on the cancel button in Rocket Money's app and it'll cancel the subscription for you. It simplifies everything. We even got a notification about Netflix's recent price increase before it even happened, just warning us that it was coming. So Rocket Money has over 5 million users. It's helped save members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com surf. 
calm the clutter in your head, simplify the tedium of your financial life, find freedom through rocketmoney.com surf. Today's show is made possible with support from Rourke. Rourke makes essential travel-tailored clothing and gear, artifacts of adventure. Each season, Rourke creates a collection of purpose-built gear with styling details fit to accommodate needs from the trail to a night out on the town. Durable quality and comfort is the guiding light, but with a commitment to sustainable fabrics and fair trade partners throughout every collection. They just opened a new store in Venice, California. If you're anywhere nearby, you should go check them out. And in fact, today's guest, Eden Saul, built a few boards specifically for that opening. I'm not sure if those boards are still available, but you don't see these boards on the shelf very often, so that would be an amazing opportunity to check them out if you're nearby. Everything else is available on Rourke.com. You can purchase confidently knowing that you'll have free 30-day returns and exchanges and that you'll also save 15% with our promo code SPLENDOR15. Rourke.com. Find something for men, women. They have an entire line of running gear, purposely built, durably constructed, sustainable fabrics and practices. Check it all out at Rourke.com. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The other thing that I recognized about your career early on was you seemed to be traveling a lot and building boards a lot. Uh, What was the first shaping residency that you got invited to do and how do you foster and develop those? First one I did, I came out actually came out to the States here. I was racing triathlon at the time and was like staying with a pro try guy in Cardiff training. 
and I was coming out and I think I randomly like cold called, like just messaged Chris Christensen on, on like Facebook or something. It was like, hey, I'm going to be in town. Like I'd love to come make some boards. And he was like, yep, sweet. Hit up, hit up John at the factory. Um, and yeah, got in straight into Moonlight was sort of like my first, it was pretty insane. Did, why would he say yes? Did he know who you were? I got no idea. Chris has become like a great friend and a mentor and like I've spent a lot of time with him over the years now and um, appreciate everything that he's ever done and I think also he's just he's just such a badass dude mm-hmm. um, but yeah so ended up I got spent some time in there um, and that shop and the history of it is just insane yeah um, and then I ended up I don't know I guess the trajectory out here was I went from there down to Diamond had a room at Diamond for a while, I was sharing with Keys, um, and that was killer because you had like, Stu Kenson and everyone in there, and like the history of that shop was pretty cool. Hank Warner was kicking around all the time, so you like got to hang with Hank, and that was pretty sick. And then went from there to where did I end up? I think we then I don't know, ended up like I think now when I come out, I shaped down at Josh Hall's spot, which is epic because all those guys in that little zone is pretty killer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like went from there. I've always go to France every year, basically, and work. Um, spent a lot of time in Bali and shaped in Bali. Had a shop out there for a few years, and we end up just closing that just before COVID, just because it all got a bit crazy. Okay. Japan. Um, it, in from my perspective, it's such a savvy way to operate your business um, because you're not increasing production to gain exposure you're just going and planting seeds everywhere and kind of doing it yeah for a lot of years i don't know if i was even making that much money out of it it was more like okay if i can go and spend you know like spend six weeks in bali and make some boards and like come out of it with a little cash in my pocket but like or like you know go to france and do some work and spend a month there and not it doesn't cost me a cent like how kill is that so killer (laughs) and it's sort of evolved now where it's like yeah maybe i'll make some money out of it but like for me it was like when i was younger and at the time i was like if i can travel and like do this like this is sick it is sick i done that you know i was like went and spent some time in new york like did that shaped out at like joey falcone's garage his mum's garage or something and like do shit but like spent a couple weeks in new york and like have a lot of fun walk out of there and i'm like i end up with like a little cash in my pocket for this I mean, otherwise it'd be a $10,000 month. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, so like if you can, for me, that was, I guess, you know, I was young and, you know, there's no family or something. So I could like, I had this bit of freedom and flexibility. I was like, why not to travel and enjoy the heck out of this? Yeah, good for you. Um, also the experiences that you're gleaning from everywhere that you've mentioned, it's the most talented, skilled, experienced people that you're linking up with. Yeah, it's been absolutely invaluable like to be able to have that and i think the way it the way it's probably influenced i guess the way i've done business but also like my just the way i build boards the way i like put shapes together you know it's been really interesting there's probably you know i don't know how many guys apart from maybe dan thompson that have like probably spent as much time coming out to san diego working with and around all those guys feeling all those boards seeing how they're putting them together but also to just I think the best thing to like for me making boards for people is if I've spent time in and around those areas mm-hmm. and understanding like some guy rings me up and he's like, Oh hey, like 
you know, want this, this, this. And I'm like, oh, cool. Like, I know that area. I know the boards that people are riding there or like I've surfed those waves. It's like you can really offer people like a better experience. For sure. Rather than sort of me just on the other side of the world going, well, this is what I make for where I surf. Yeah. Hope it works for you. Totally. Um, were you sacrificing anything by doing that? I mean, it's ma- it's hard to maintain relationships. Yeah, on it's a- definitely bit me in the ass Has numerous it? times. <laughs> <laughs> but that's fine. Like, it is what it is. I mean, it's okay for when you're in your 20s, I suppose. But at a certain point. Well, I've, it's what's the, where I've ended up getting stitched up. And there's like a bunch of my friends, like all, a heap of Australian boys are all living out here. Somehow we've all ended up dating girls in LA and then thinking that we can like, no, but like the idea of like having kids and stuff, you're like, oh, we'll do that back at home. And they're like, no. You know, oh, fuck. So yeah. That's a, something you want to discuss. That one's bit me in the butt a few times. Something you want to discuss early on, I think. Um, were you do establishing relationships with retailers or do you, do you work through retail? Do you mainly work direct? L- How does that a work? A little bit. We like, and we definitely used to do a lot more like uh, wholesale stuff. Um, I've sort of pulled back from that. Not, not like in a conscious decision so much more just like I'm shaping everything. I only have the capacity to do so much. And as that sort of, you know, demand for just custom boards has sort of increased. It's like the amount I can actually put out to stores is sort of gets cut down pretty quick. So, um, what is your capacity? How many boards can you build a year? We're doing, I try to do like around like a thousand a year. Okay. Seems, it sounds like a lot, but that's manageable. Okay. That seems like I can still have a pretty good lifestyle, not go too crazy at a, Maybe like five years ago, five years, we had like, I, I did blow it out a lot more than that. And it was like in a lot more shops and doing all this. And I was working my absolute nut out. Had like, had more staff, everything else, and got to the end of the year and like sat down with my account and we looked at it. And I was just like, actually, I don't think I made any more money. And I was like having a shit time. I wasn't surfing because I was just in the factory to like, I was like, at the time I was living like an hour from where the factory was. I was like sleeping in the factory at night, just like trying to make it work. And I was like, this is shit. I just pulled everything way back. Um, hired a guy to basically sort of be my boss, mm. run, the, run the shop, run the emails. He tells me what to do for the week. And all I have to do is just... Talk to, talk to people about what they want in boards and shape their boards. How difficult was that to really coach control and also to find the right person? Finding the right person was hard. And then once I found the right person, actually letting them do it was a lot easier. Okay. But getting that person was definitely tricky. Did you get the wrong person a couple of times? Yeah. Okay. I tried like with a really good friend and that did not work out. Um, and then... Yeah, we end up, the guy I've got now is guy Andrew and he's amazing and I don't know if I could do what I do now without having him around. It like definitely makes my life infinitely easier. Is there a way to push past that challenging time that you were talking about to get to a new level of production and revenue? There, there probably is for me. I'm like, I don't, I, I don't want to do more. Like I'm quite comfortable. Okay in our little space. Like we've got a little setup in Byron Bay. We've got like a showroom. 
I've got a shaping bay in that space and then like we'd pack and ship everything out of there. And then we've got a glass shop uh, like about an hour north in Corumban um, okay. with a really good crew in there. Um, and I like that it's tight. I like that it's easy. It's pretty, it's still quite humble. Um, you know, we've got a great little setup there in Byron where like around the corner you've got this crew of wild things which is Gataharoi and they've got a bunch of other stuff in there. McTavish is next door to them. Yeah. Um, there's like a, that little hub is, is insane. But yeah, it's like we got a kind of humble little store there, little easy, tight space, low overheads, which means sort of pretty low stress. And Good. I kind of like that idea. I feel like especially through COVID, there was the opportunity to like really go big and I've watched friends that did and really over-invested. And right now is everything's just like, it's not like someone hit the brakes. It's like they threw the fucking parachute out the back. It's like being pretty crazy. And it's, I know it's not just us. It's like pretty global how that's happened. It's every segment of the market yeah. globally. And it's scary. Yeah. And that's a tricky thing too. Cause it was like, if it was just me doing shitty, and you're watching everyone else is like doing great. You're like, okay, cool. We need to pivot and adjust. But when everyone's kind of eating shit, you're like, okay. The scary thing is that it's beyond our control. Like it's external global economic factors yeah. that are just affecting the business and there's nothing you can do yeah. about it. Like we're fine at home. Like we still, we've, we've got good little numbers. I think one of the lucky things we have is just good waves at home. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like even when money's tight, like legit surfers are going to buy surfboards. It's just like, it's the, it's the new coming to surfing people. Um, I guess the only problem that I guess we have is like making what I would say are like proper high quality surfboards. It's like if someone bought a longboard off me two years ago and money is getting tight, they're like, that board's fine. Yeah. Like they're good, you know? I think that is affecting the business partially. It is COVID kind of post, you know, depression, it's the global economic factors, but it's also the style of boards that have become popular in the last five to 10 years are more durable. Yeah, which I don't know, like I hope that's where we're going. Like from an environmental perspective, I know there is some interesting stuff happening, but the my sort of take on it is just like, build the best boards you can to the highest quality and make them last. If you can keep yeah. them out of landfill, yeah. amazing. Like that's sustainable. That's sustainable. I yeah. see some of these like EPS boards that say like eco project on them that like are a year old, they're brown, waterlogged, absolute trash. Like you you couldn't give it away. And I'm like, oh, that's eco. And it came here on a ship and it's still made with all the nasty chemicals that we're using. Well, they'll say the EPS inside is recyclable. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. Nobody tears it apart. If you strip the glass off and then do that, and so it's and not then happen. take the EPS to a recycling center, which nobody does. No, whereas yeah. like you know, I've got I still got boards that I'm riding that are 50 years old. Yeah, yeah. Like that to me is like you know using. I know there is going to be better things, and there's some really we've been doing some stuff with flax, which is really insane. Feels incredible mm -hmm. and like really durable. Um, but at the end of the day, like. Use quality blanks, quality quality glass, resin. Yeah, make them last. Well, um, that was going to be another line of my questioning was: you still shape everything yourself, yep. right? But you use a lot of different glass shops depending on where you are in the world. Yes. So, how do you define quality, and how do you manage quality when you're at a thousand boards a year? Um, 
we've got I'm working with a guy at home Mark's my laminator um, and he's he's insane he's like a second generation board builder really talented glasser like hit the we do I guess we're probably known for like a lot of our like abstract resin work stuff mm-hmm. but how light and he gets everything and everything is so tight like he came up doing production work at like DHD so he's got that down but like his stuff is insane we've been working together for 10 years or so now so we don't like it's easy I don't even have to it just he does it and I guess on the managing quality is like I've been lucky or I've just positioned it so when I'm am going around the world like if I'm going to go and build boards here and I'm like like if I go to Moonlight I don't have to go and worry about the quality it's like you know that it's going to be top shelf work yeah. or you know I've had you know like Alex Villalobos has glassed most of my boards out here for the last like eight years Okay. you know like whether it was at like Diamond or did some stuff at Gordon and Smith or now it's like at LSD Joel's spot there same thing and I've had like the same glasses sanders guys doing fins so it's like if you position for me it was like positioning yourself in great glass shops I don't have to worry about the quality because gotcha. I know those guys are going to do a great job you've fostered those relationships yeah over those the years. problem is in our industry I'd say is like there's only a handful of great like quality great glasses glass like good glasses good lap good even like good polishes yeah it's like that's a everyone wants to shape and i get it but there's not that many guys like coming up that are like wanting to be like i want to be a good glasser or like that's the sh- that's the job i want because and that's gonna be a problem i think going forward a good hot coat guy or like a good because it's like and for me it's like your shapes sh- without a good glass job quality lamination quality sanding work like everything i do doesn't matter well even so beyond the laminator, the laminator now has gotten a little bit of uh, acclaim and you just mentioning them by name, I think is a good step forward towards that. But the sander doesn't, you know what I mean? Um, the fin setter doesn't. Like those people's names aren't on the boards and they're not, people don't know. No, but they deserve every little bit of credit because like if the guy putting the fins in doesn't angle them right, doesn't matter how good that shape is, that board's going to be absolute trash. They're... That's absolutely important. And there's should be there's an argument to be made that their names should be on the boards alongside, you know? Yeah. It is I don't know. Those guys, like we've got a good little crew at home and I'm I'm so proud of like watching what our guys are doing and it's cool to be able to sort of like, yeah, that other people around the world are even like cottoned on to Well, I think they have because they're now earning the prices have come up. Those glass shops are charging a premium yep. for their work and paying those people appropriately. And so I think there's incentive for people to do a good job now. Yeah. But like, I still think surfboards, I'll still argue surfboards are cheap. I agree. Like if you go and get, you know, like go and grab a board. I got a board off Bob McTavish last year, went in the bay, spent the day with Bob, drank some coffee, shaped a board, like made some adjustments on the fly. Like that experience for a guy that's been building boards for as long as he has, just to be able to like go and talk story with those guys any other industry, any other profession, like artistry, whatever, go and find someone who's been doing it for that long at the top of their game and f- see what you're going to pay for it. Like, So you're, what are your, like what is a uh, fish priced at for you retail and what is a longboard priced at? And do you feel like that 
there's room to grow from there and to charge more? Um, for us, yeah, like so, like the, I guess like our most popular thing at the moment is just like a little, like a 6'4 twin fin sort of in-between fish thing. Yeah. They're like at home, they're 1550 and then like a polished longboard's 2200, 2250. Um, which I think like that's reasonable enough. That's fine. Yeah, um, it's a tricky one trying to. I don't know. Boards are. It's the values and prices change depending on where you are too, and then throw in exchange rates and what that looks like. And I don't know. Like it's. I love seeing like the prices Christensen's getting or Tyler Hadzikan's getting or Birch is getting because it it lifts everyone. I agree. Yeah. I'm thrilled. I agree with you. Surfboards are underpriced, and I'm thrilled to see those prices as well because you can't, the laminators, the sanders that we were talking about can't yep. afford to buy property in Southern California yep. or certainly not Byron at this point um, doing that work. And as surfers, I want to make investments in them so that we can continue yep. having access to their work. Oh, look, I'm sure there's a bunch of people listening to this going like, this guy can piss off like saying boards should be more expensive but to that exact point like if you want to keep these people in jobs and keep them building boards they need to make a good enough living to keep doing it or they they just won't they'll go do something else and then you're in a position where like you know like one of our blank big blank manufacturers in australia's just like closed down moved their whole operation to bali because they couldn't get enough staff so now they're all getting made in bali mm -hmm. which i guess is fine but like i used to like being able to go in there and like quickly adjust a rocker or something like that yeah I, I hear what you're saying when you're saying i guess that's fine but it's not fine actually because uh certainly here domestically in the u.s th we are held as manufacturers to a higher standard of yep. epa regulation employee treatment standards all that sort of stuff yep. so by virtue of building those things domestically not only is it supporting the local economy and all yep. that sort of stuff it's a safer working environment. And then it's also yielding a better product yeah. because holding things to that regulatory standards yields consistently in the product. Consistency. It's sort of further on that too, like something I've done and tried to be very cognizant of is like, as I've been like, rather than just me making boards at home and just send them out everywhere. And like, we still do that. Like I'm just sent a batch over here of customs we built at home for some like clients. But um, I've always sort of liked the idea of like, if I, rather than doing building a batch at home and just flicking them out because I, I can do it cheaper at home. It's like, no, come over to California. Like I pay my money. I've got a visa. I've like done all my shit proper. Come over to California, build boards here, kick some money back into the glass shops, right. into the community. I've done the same. I, like I'll go to Hawaii. It's like, so the guys there, rather than taking food off their plate, you're like kicking back into the glass shops and that. So everyone in that surf community still actually gets a little out of it. Okay. Sort of seems like a good way of like con contributing and kicking back rather than just like eroding, eroding another little, you know, community. Like, you know, I'm not making big numbers. It's not like it's probably making a difference, but it always just feels better to me to like, you know, if I go to Hawaii and make boards, like you're paying the sander there, you're paying the glass of there, you're buying your blanks off Ted, like you're doing the whole thing. That's wonderful to hear because that does go a long way for the local shaping community. You're right. You're not doing huge numbers to make a dent on the grand scheme, but there's individual shapers who are competing with you essentially for the same market yeah. who would be miffed if you just, yeah, did it the other way. So that's great to hear. Um, in terms of pricing, those people uh, who are buying your boards or buying other boards even, 
they go golfing all the time and they have super expensive golf clubs. And I played nine this morning before we got here. Exactly. And I know you're a triathlete as well. They're, they're riding $10,000 bicycles. Yep. You know what I mean? So the market will bear or whatever the, they'll pay whatever, you know, uh, the market will bear. You could charge whatever the market will bear. They are willing to pay it if they just have the perception that and the understanding it. that it's worth it. And it's your job and through your marketing to educate them through the ways that we're kind of doing now that this is worth it. Yeah. It's also like if you're building quality boards and they last, like one of the guys that we surf, surf a bunch with at home, this guy, Nathan Oldfield makes beautiful films, like love. And he's just the most sweet and general, gentle human being and rides these like 11 foot, 11, 11 gliders I make and surfs them incredibly well. And he, he'll ride that board 300 days a year and had bought one back after five years and the thing was in great shape. I think, like, I didn't really, I don't know what I, if I even charged him for it. But like, say I sell that board at home for three grand. He bought it back. We sold it for him for 1800 bucks after five years. Like, incredible. That's cheap. Incredible. Like, after five years, you like, like, that's, yeah. It's, if you break it down like that, I don't know, I'd almost say, I don't know, like, if you go and buy, like, a cheap, cheap popped out shortboard and that thing turns to trash that gets yeah that gets expensive if you're buying quality built boards that actually will last then yeah you maybe you paid a premium but your actual lifetime on it or your return if you then want to flip it yeah it actually does probably make you know his per session cost was three cents yeah it's, it's <laughs> like um and you and I were also talking before we started recording just about the mentality of kind of shifting to a one board quiver mindset Yeah, of like, I don't need 20 boards in the quiver anymore. I, guess I, I still have three. them. Yeah, I know I do too. <laughs> <laughs> but my new mentality is yeah, I'm going to ride three of them throughout the course of the year, basically. Yeah. No, like I still ride a bunch of different boards, but like, yeah, I was telling you about that trip. I went to Fiji and just took, I took two boards, but the exact same dimensions in the same thing. And it was such a refreshing experience. Yeah. So let's, I wanted to kind of highlight a specific board design yep. of yours. I was thinking the yin yang twin. Yep. Was that what you brought to yeah. Fiji? Okay, yep. cool. Then let's talk about that. Let's highlight that for listeners. What is it? And um, So that actually, we, start, we talked a little bit about the stab acid test thing oh, yeah. earlier. So I was making like a round diamond tail um, channel bottom. Originally they weren't channel bottoms. They were like a pretty interesting spiral V concave setup, and I was trying not to do them as channels specifically just because Jonesy is such a legend. I didn't want to sort of like get on that. And then I had so many friends like, bro, can you just put some channels in one for me? And I was like, all right, whatever. We did a couple and that sort of was going good. And then the acid test thing came up and I was like, like let's tweak this thing. So we kind of like pulled the nose, tucked the tail a little, straightened the tail curve, put a swallow on it, adjusted the rocker a little. And sent them out for that and it was funny because when they did the test mason and coco were like kind of poo-pooed it. it was pretty sick coco had a great line was just like i know cokes and she was like what's it? you think i'm pregnant or something like what is it was like, <laughs> oh shit because it was more volume yes was, yeah. chunky for him um but it was funny because it was like then all the half the guys at stabbing i'm like like Ashton Goggins like rode that board took that board and like you said didn't leave his board bag for like two years it was just like this thing's insane it was like all my friends were like, that was all everyone was ordering. 
Um, and it sort of became like, I was like, oh, I like really started refining them, refining them. And then Dave ended up getting on a couple. Um, we had some really bad floods at home a couple of years ago. I don't know if you've probably seen a bit of that. Of course. Really yeah. gnarly. It was left to a lot of us to sort of like do a lot of like re- rescue work and recovery work. And anyway, me and Dave were like going up a river one day in his boat. And we're coming back after doing like, I think we did like a medicine drop or something somewhere. And we're coming back in his boat and we're chatting about boards and different things. And he was like, what have you been riding? We're chatting. And he's like, oh, I was like, come grab one. He just grabbed like a six, eight off the rack. And he was like, rang me a couple of days later. He's like, this thing's insane. He was all jazzed on it. I was like, oh, cool. So he rode a couple. And then he was like, have you ever made one any without channels? And I'd made one and I hated the look of it. And it was actually meant to go to a guy in Japan or something. I never even sent it. it I put it in a box and just stashed it upstairs. I'd been sitting there for like a year and a half. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe. Like, I just so I went, grabbed this thing, gave it to him. Like, try it. And he rang me like the next day. Uh, and this is after I'd probably done like know, a thousand of them, all with channels. He rang me and he's like, don't put channels in. They're way better without it. And I was just like, you fucking kidding me? <laughs> so... What do you think that was? What was the difference? What was he feeling? Um, I think that the way the channels were working in them in like softer waves or for like less experienced or like lesser surf intermediates to low, they give this incredible lift and drive and squirt. Like, and in smaller, softer conditions, just the original get up and go, or like if you're not at a super skilled level, it, they feel just so electric. Roll over really easy just yeah turbo boosters basically gotcha but then at higher speeds there's like a little cavitation a little drift between the fins you'll feel some air bubble a little extra and they'll get a little more grippy out of the lip so once we took that that out added a slight more v you've just like at high speed you've just got total control push them as hard as you want and then also out of the lip they're just way more clicky sharp Mm. um but yeah we've sort of found the length on them I'm riding them like 6.4 to like 6.8, sort of as long as I want them. You do still want to be over the fins on them, what we're talking about with that of other boards, but you can shuffle forward and sort of move around, which is really nice. But I don't want them too long, otherwise it sort of feels like you've got too much of like swing weight and pendulum in front of you. Okay. Um, yeah, I've been really, they're just a lot of fun. It's like, it sort of ticks a lot of boxes. You're not too long that it's getting in the way, but you're also getting that like longer board glide and feel. Yeah. And with that swallow, you sort of get that little straighter, longer rail line in the back. Um, so what does the rail look like and what does the rocker profile look like? Pretty, it's like a medium rocker. It's sort of like four, four in the nose, two, three, eights tail, pretty continual curve, but like an, I kind of like a, like a pretty nice, like flat, easy spot in the center. that just gives like a really good sweet spot. Um, little soft roll nose to like a good single concave to just pretty accentuated panel V out the back Um, and I like a pretty like low boxy rail but with like a little cup kind of like a little ping pongy cup sort of underneath Um, and yeah like a nice little beak I kind of put beaks on just about everything oh okay yeah I saw that on that one yeah Um, there's footage of Rasta writing it on your website as well for anybody who wants to see that. I'll yeah. link to it or post it. Yeah, killer. Um, I'm curious about how you, I mean, obviously Rasta grew up in the area, but I've seen Steph Gilmore writing the boards. Um, how do you connect with those people and what does that do for your 
I've known Steph grew up like three doors up from my cousin. So I've known her since I think we used to like play soccer together in like our friend's backyard when we were like five. Okay. Um, So I've known Steph forever. Um, She's probably my, I don't know, she's not my favorite surfer. She's top three. Watch her, the way she rides a board is insane. Um, But yeah, so Steph's, I love watching Steph surf. Um, I think, yeah, some of that footage too, it was like, that was just like on a borrowed board at Malibu. Just like, oh, let me run out and grab a couple. Totally. That's what we love about her surfing though, is it's not, it's just the everyday sessions and how elegant, dignified, how, yeah, it's just beautiful it's to beautiful watch. beautiful surfing. Yeah. It's insane. It's nothing special except that it's incredibly special, you know? Yeah, no, her surfing something else. Um, so who's the most, who gives you the most informed feedback? Um, probably Dave's pretty good with that stuff, but also the, the tricky thing with Dave's feedback is he kind of like, he rode like a six, eight stock board and he's like, Oh, like certain people probably can't adapt. He just half the boards he's had have just been off the rack. And then he just comes in, grabs it like just stock and say, Oh, that that's great. Grabs another one. Oh, that one's great too. I made him one board and he was just like, no, that thing sucked, but that was fun. Well, I'm wondering too, if that feedback that he gave you, you even said it was uh, for the advanced surfer essentially. So can you necessarily translate that feedback to yeah, for the broad sure. market? Definitely. Okay. Um, no, Dave's really detailed. He's so dialed. Okay. Um, but we also, I, I've got a couple of guys in Japan I sponsor and that's, been really interesting because they're surfing very subpar conditions most mm-hmm. of the time which might seem interesting to like that that you'd want that sort of as like but it allows you to sort of like it helps when i got some guy on like the florida coast and i'm like look i know like you you're learning how to adapt things to like work in like really soft mushy wind swirl and stuff like that rather than just you know the waves we're surfing at home which are much more substantial and juicy yeah um yeah i mean i've heard people say like if you could learn how to surf like for me locally it's like man the guys who learn how to surf at t street can then rip anywhere yeah like learning how to yeah yeah i sort of don't have that in me because i'm like i'm surfing like beautiful lennox point right i go surf some mushy little beach break and i'm watching guys like getting all hyped i'm like i just it doesn't doesn't tickle me as well. That's happened to the pro surfers coming out of Hawaii since way back in the day. It's yeah. just like no interest in doing anything else. Yeah. Veyerwatches.com. Practical, timeless, durable, debonair. They will never distract your focus or waste your time by sending you a notification or a text message but they will reliably deliver precisely an essential piece of information that you need every single day, time. And it does it reliably indefinitely because they use the best quality materials. Sapphire crystal, surgical grade steel, premium movements, and they're assembled in the USA. The watches come with a two-year warranty and they're guaranteed waterproof. And wearing it just adds a certain level of pride and confidence because it looks great, feels great, classic designs, but from a smaller hip brand that I just simply feel proud to support. I've been wearing the 38 millimeter dive watch this past year in and out of the water. It's actually solar powered. There's a little solar cell under the dial that powers the watch for six months with only six hours of light. It's incredible. 
the perfect daily watch. VayerWatches.com. Veyer is spelled V-A-E-R. VayerWatches.com. Subtle beauty, quiet confidence. VayerWatches.com. RealWaterSports.com is your one-stop shop for any and all of your water sport needs. They are even where you can go to fantasize, plot, and plan your next surfboard acquisition. They're partnered with preeminent surf vlogger Brett Barley. As their team rider, Brett has helped them expand their surfboard review videos, taking their board testing videos a step beyond their competent but humble staff reviews and putting these boards into heaving tubes and spinning them through full rotation airs and then getting back on land to discuss the ins and outs of design and construction of many of the boards in their 1500 board inventory. It's an incredible series that they do. That inventory, by the way, is ever shifting with updated models and even new manufacturers that are being introduced into their board loft regularly. So learn about boards through their surfboard video reviews, engage their staff in anything. They are tightly in communication with their board builders and can guide you well beyond what is available on their website. For all of your water sport needs, go check out realwatersports.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Whose surfing do you admire nowadays? Um, I love Dave surfing. I love Steph surfing. Um, Mikey Feb. Um, there's a young Australian kid, Lungy, who's insane. Yeah, I've seen yeah, some Jai Glindemans lives right where I'm at. Jai surfing's incredible to watch. Um, they're sort of the ones, I guess, I'm like, my touchstones, I'm, I'm really loving watching the moment. And so just, yeah, like, my friend Nathan, like, the way he rides those big boards, like, that's, that really is joyful. Yeah. Um, have you seen any of the footage from the last week of Mikey February in Hawaii? Yeah, I mean, watching all that calm. It's insane. It was so cool to see... Seeing like someone who like I'm sure a lot of like those hardcore guys would be like poo poo on being like oh he's just like a styly like whatever. Um, I remember being in Hawaii, shit, maybe like eight ten years ago. And we're at the Billabong House hanging, and Tyler Warren basically like just went and packed a couple of like crazy ones out the front, and like some of the Hawaiian kids were like oh shit, yeah, like he got a really sick one at Backdoor, and it was like kind of they were like oh what. And it's like, yeah, of course these guys can freaking 
So that was cool. That one Harry Bryant got yesterday was just unbelievable. There was so much meat on that thing. So cool. The boards that he's been riding specifically, like I know he's riding some of the Gunter Rohn's boards yep. in the past, but seeing him on like a seven foot, seven two or whatever that yep. is, looks rad. Yeah. And it allows him, it allowed him to get that wave actually, you know? Yeah. I don't know if it's cotton on out here so much, but at home there's definitely been like a pretty interesting thing with like a lot of the like Creed and then like Jai Glindo and them all riding, like going back to riding some bigger, longer rail lines. And the way that some of those plan shapes, especially from like Rod Dahlberg or Gunter, like big boards, but they're still really free and loose. Mm -hmm. But also sort of in juicier waves like Iluka and Lennox and stuff. It looks good. It really looks good. Creed specifically in the latest, like Kai Neville. Yeah. yeah it's, it's radical. That film was so damn cool. We were at the premiere with like an Aki and Jack McCoy and like that that vintage Oki footage at Niuatu is so sick. So sick. It's his surfing and like, it's so, it's, you're watching it against all those guys. And I know it's like vintage footage and it still like holds up to It's me. more relevant than ever. Yeah, it holds up. It's so, it's insane. Yeah, his approach is just more relevant than ever. Um, back to Feb's, Michael February. Certainly those couple of waves that he got a backdoor for the comp were sick, but he also posted some footage on what looked like a Ryan Birch um, ASIM. Interesting. Did, did no, you see any of this footage? That, no. I don't know if it was on his account or somebody else's, but it was just so, he was surfing unbelievably fast. Yeah. And it had like just this sizzle to it where he was just like whipping these it's turns. So, yeah, like Birch's stuff's so crazy. Like I'm watching what he's done with those. Um, like that footage of Bryce and like, like Bryce's surfing, it's kind of cool that he's actually put something out because I've got to watch Bryce surf a fair bit and oh my God. It's like, he's probably relatively unknown, I would think to a lot of people, well, I hope not, but like he's one of the best surfers on the planet. Agreed. Like some of those turns that he's doing, it's like he's putting surfboards in places I don't think I've ever really seen them. Because boards couldn't get there previously. Yeah. And Birch could get the board there, but you're like, oh, that's just Birch doing the Birch thing. When do you see Bryce do it? Well, it Bryce is just, this bigger, like heavier built dude, like Birch is incredible, but there seems like a little more finesse, whereas Bryce is just going like a million miles an hour and just all hammer. And he does the hammer and you're like, that's sick, but then he'll come out of it and blow the fins out yeah. and do a big reverse. And you're like, what? Yeah. Or riding that Aliyah and then popping like an alley-oop on the Aliyah, you're just going, yeah. never would have even thought of it. It's outside the realm of what we thought was possible. Yeah. His surfing is insane and him connecting with Birch, I feel like is taking things to a different level. But so Mikey Febs was riding a board that looked, again, I don't know whose it was, but that's exactly what it looked like. It looked like it was 17 inches wide. And the speed and uh, like kind of on a dime turning radius that the board was yep. going through and his ability to control it with all of his style and all that was like, he's on a different level this season. Yeah. And then to see those waves, he got it back door. I was so like, sick. dude, he's on a full different I think program. one of the coolest things for me in surfing at the moment is, you know, and hats off to Joel and Devin and Birch and all these guys that have sort of like shifted the needle a little bit. Torrin and what him and Jonesy have done specifically as well. Like they deserve so much props because like it's changed like the boards that like I want to make and like the boards that those guys are all making it's just opened this playing field up that like it's so widely accepted now and it's not just considered like some like alternate kook board. It's like, it's high performance. These guys are ripping. 
you know, yes, you can like, yeah, if you want to cruise it, that's fine too. But like, you know, I want to build boards that people are going to surf the heck out of. It's a lot more relatable surfing for 99% yeah. of surfers on the planet. Like I can't relate to Felipe Toledo or he's not even the best example. I can't relate to Italo's surfing. Yeah, like in watching Italo in a pool doing like a Superman and then like an alley-oop on the same wave and, you know, pumping out crazy gym sets. I'm like, that's killer, but it's not. That's yeah. not the surfing I'm, I'm leaning towards. No. Um, but so I'll never surf like Torin, but I look at his surfing and I can aspire to it at least. And um, I think that's been one of the real things that like people have loved in like all the stuff that he's put out and the boards that him and Jonesy have been working on is like if you're watching, yeah, like watching Italo, you're like, cool, that's not me. But I'd say the average guy watching Tyron just gracefully streaking down the line and then getting piped out of his absolute mind, they're like, I'm never gonna actually do that. But in my brain, I like to think I could, or that's the sort of thing I'd like to emulate. I can do a 1% version of that, yeah. you know, and that still feels amazing. Yeah. His surfing's so technical, he just sort of makes it look easy, which yes. is really deceptive. I think like that's, but to me, that's when good surf, that's what good surfing is. Agreed. It's effortless while being incredibly technical. And we can also start using the term high performance too when you're talking about Birch's boards or um, certain surfers on them because things got so focused on the pointy thruster for two decades. I think that it was actually a disservice to all of surfing. Well, a lot of guys, like I, you know, I was just up in Fiji and watching guys trying to paddle into six foot cloud break on like, little like EPS pop outs that were 27 liters and they're like 190 pounds. And I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. And they're like, oh, you know, this is what I was, and I'm like, bro, yeah. get some, you know, get some foam under your feet. But you know, there's still that, that mentality is still there, but it definitely seems to be shifting. I just wonder where surfing could have gone in that 20 years if well, there was the embrace of. Kelly was just too freaking good. I know. <laughs> And Machado made thrusters look insane. So it was like, True. if you look like, you know, Aki and then Machado and Kelly and like, you know, even if you want to be styly, like you're watching Rob riding like a 6-1 Merrick, it still looked fucking good. Totally. S same as Curran, like it looked insane. Yeah, that's true. Um, we've kind of already touched on it, but uh, what other shapers do you admire and whose other boards are you riding? Um, I love what Jonesy does. Chris Christensen, big fan. Stu Kenson, I love Stu's stuff. Stu actually, during COVID, helped me out with a bit of stuff, which was kind of cool. Said, like, I've shaped all my boards. During COVID, we, like, had a, I'd taken orders out here, taken deposits, and I couldn't do them because I couldn't come back. So Stu was like, I'll, I'll do them for you. So he, we had them cut, Stu did them, and then actually got him to sign his name on him rather than like try and fudge it. Okay. Cause for me it was like, if I've got someone as good as him doing him, then how freaking cool. Yeah. And I was like, so he, he signed him and it was pretty funny. I was like, remember him like, where do I want the edge on? Where do you want the edge on this? I was like, dude, half the reason I'm probably making these boards is because of what <laughs> you and Joel did back then. So like, I, I like it here, but what do you think? Like, so it was actually a kind of a cool conversation. That's so funny. Um, so that was kind of cool. I like what Stu does. Um, yeah, Ben and Bob McTavish, they're epic. Um, 
you know, Thomas and what Thomas is doing in longboards. I think there's kind of no one really touching him with that at the moment. Mm. They say Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Christensen. Yeah. Um, I'm glad to hear that you're buying boards from those guys too. Like I would be I got amazed. a couple of skips that I've been loving. I ride the shit out of. How'd you get those? Um, just being down in San Diego, I guess. Okay. Yeah. And just a really nice new Mitzvah fish. Um, yeah, I just asked him. And then actually during COVID, I say my, I had a blank. I was going to shape myself a glider. I had like an 11.3 or something. People are going to be so mad at this, I'm sure. I had the blank there and Wade, like who was standing for me at the time, was like, what are you going to do with that blank? I was like, I don't know. Go ask Skip to make me something out of it. Just totally off the cuff, not serious. And he got like a text from me like a week later. He's like, oh, Skip shape your like a glider out of it. What do you want to, what color do you want? I'm like, what? So that was, that was pretty killer. Amazing. Yeah, I got a couple of, he's got, I got a really, really refined, like five, six fish off him that goes incredible. Does it? And it's cool because it's so, back to what I was saying about like, it's so different to anything I would make, you know? And I got, Chris made me a really cool, like nice single fin gun. Um, I just got a nine, six gun off Danny Hess last year. Wow. That's go. That's really good. I've had some crazy sessions on that thing. That feels beautiful. Mm. Um, yeah, I've got some Arakawas. Lucky to spend some time building boards at Eric's shop and spent time there. So picked some boards up off Eric over the years. Um, I would think you run out of time trying to ride all these different boards <laughs> and R and D your own. Well, it's for me. It's like the, the, they're very specific boards for specific things. Like I've got a couple of boards off Eric that, like, if I'm in Hawaii or if I'm in Fiji, that they were like, I'll I'll grab those boards. Gotcha. Or like, you know, I I make some guns and I will make some good sized paddle boards for good waves. But then, if I'm surfing, like we'll get some big days at Lennox, and it's fun every now and then to like grab my Hess or like grab my Christians and and run down and like, you know, yeah. I make a lot of big boards and glider sort of stuff. Um, and that I love writing mine, but then it's also nice to sort of like pull out a skip and yeah. There's not a lot of people who have the opportunity to no. just pull out a skip. Well, also too, I th I'm probably in a position where like you know to be able to get a board off skip or like get Bob McTavish to hand shape me something or get Chris to make me a board, you know, like they're they're all people that I've sort of been able to call colleagues and mostly a lot of them now friends and. So it's, it's a really beautiful thing to be able to like do that. Absolutely. Yeah. You can't not do it. You feel obligated to almost. Yeah. Um, what surf media do you follow? Um, I follow Stab Stuff because I think they do a pretty good job. Um, that, subscribe to the journal. And then I don't listen to too much of the podcast stuff. I listen to your stuff just because I find the conversations really just enjoyable. And it's obviously, it's you're, a lot of the conversations you're having with people that I want to have conversations with or I do have conversations with. So it's, that's good. I listen to a little bit of Bassy's stuff when I get a, get a chance sometimes. Um, Jamie Brissick's podcast that he's been doing is so sick. I think Jamie's just so articulate and thoughtful. Um, I always enjoy those conversations. Yeah, I love Jamie. Um, I think I listen, I listen to a lot more stuff than I probably read now just because I've got hours a day in a shaping bay by myself. So yeah. Um, sort of easy to pick that stuff up yeah um final question for everybody interviewed is just what was the last surfboard that you rode and where was it the last surfboard that i rode 
Uh, what was oh, it? was like a 10 six fish or something I think I made that I just surfed out the front of my house. Okay. I live sort of right at the bottom of the Point Atlantic and there's like a little like rocky reef there. Um, so yeah, I think I just ran down. I've been doing a bunch of landscaping and just ran down, got like an hour in out the front. Good. Um, um, are you still cycling, running, doing the triathlon stuff? I'm not doing any of the triathlon stuff anymore, but okay. um, I think I've kind of burnt out on doing tries. Like I got, I went and raced like Kona Ironman, like world champs and did, got to, did all that shit. Holy cow. And I remember after finishing one of those, I was just like, this isn't that fun anymore. Okay. Like training 25, 30 hours a week and, and just, I didn't have the capacity for it after sort of like doing those long races which you know, if anyone doesn't know what an Ironman is, it's like 3.8k swim, 180k ride, run 42. Um, so, and now I sort of like, I think after doing it at a pretty decent level, the idea of going and just doing it, it's like, there's no fun in that for me. Cause it's, you know, if you're gonna go do it that distance, it's like, I wanna do it well. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm still running marathons sort of pretty regularly and um, do a, still do a lot of cycling, but yeah. How many miles are you running a week? Um, at the moment, it's probably like 25 to 30, but when I sort of build up to it, it sort of, we'll be doing like 50 to 60. I can't believe you have the time. It's kind of, I don't know. I love it. It's just, you find time. Yeah. It's interesting. It's a couple of hours, you know, an hour and a half in the morning or something. It's like, it's do that. I feel better for it when I get to work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I have found. But is when I get to like, when the surf season kicks in, it's like, yeah, yeah. good luck. <laughs> But that's what I found too is like that it sounds 90 minutes a day sounds like a big carve like you're carving a punch out of your schedule however it allows you to be more efficient for the rest of your schedule whereas if I don't do it I seem to get less done yeah it's like when you know it's like if you when you like if you meditate and like learning the meditation thing and it's like 20 minutes in the morning or something and you're like I don't have time because you think your day's going to be busy missing that little bit of time is like the, the like the lack of productivity that you is like that twenty minutes was the easiest twenty minutes you'll have all day long. Exactly. Yeah. Um, do you just in terms of diet and exercise? Is there anything that you don't partake in? Um, or diet, I should say. No, I eat everything. Okay. I eat everything. I was vegetarian for eleven years, and I've kind of kicked that. And now I'm just eating a shitload. Of, it's just meat and vegetables, basically. Okay. I'm not big on bread. Not big on sugar. Just. Just stuff that. You yeah. know, fuels your body. Yeah, I try to. Gotcha. I drink enough beer that probably cancels it all out, <laughs> so it doesn't matter anyway. Well, whatever you're doing, it seems to be working for you, so yeah. keep it up. Well, thank you for doing this conversation and taking the time. It's an absolute pleasure, and it's cool to be here in L.A. and do it with you, so sit down and actually do it proper. Yeah, I appreciate it. No, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank Cheers. you.
deadkooks.com and at deadkooks on Instagram. Thank you, Eden Saul. Do you want to see Eden's face? Go to our Instagram at Surf Splendor. We've got videos of he and I from this chat published in live motion. Leave a comment there for Eden. Uh, share this post with a friend. We firmly believe that there are a lot of people who would love to hear from Eden who don't even know that this episode exists. So that is where you can send it to them. Uh, also adding comments, sharing it, that just helps share the show through the algorithm with strangers to find it. And that helps us grow. Everybody wins. Uh, by the way, YouTube works in a really similar fashion. We're there as well now. Go to YouTube, search Surf Splendor. You can find lots of videos from our past episodes. And then of course, find everything on surfsplendorpodcast.com where it is all packaged up neatly on one page. There you will also be able to find all of our promo codes and discounts from our sponsors and a deep, deep 10 year archive of all of our shows available for free. Oh, and we're also giving away a surfboard to one of our lucky supporters at the end of this month, and then another every single month for the rest of the year. Lots to come. More on that specifically next week, but set up your support now to make sure that you're included on any and all giveaways. It's five bucks a month. Do it on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Okay, thank you all. I am super enthusiastic and energized. I don't know if you could tell that from the sound of my voice, fueled by drinkag1.com slash surf, but I'm energized for 2024. There's so much work to be done and I am eager to hit the ground running. Let's go. By the way, go get Spit with Scott Bass. We already published that. We did that yesterday. It was our very first show of the year. And then uh, Chas Smith and I will be reconvening on The Grit on Friday, January 5th. I'll be back here on Surf Splendor next week. Until then, my name is David Scales for Surf Splendor. Thank you so much. Get back into the ocean, share some waves, and as always, shred on into the new year.